Courtside Connect, your podcast for all things Kentucky basketball. I am your host, Matt Sack. Today, I am just by myself. I am going to give a little recap, a quick recap of um, this past weekend, Friday through Sunday, in college basketball. Mostly Kentucky, but a couple other notable games happened as well that are going to impact the entire landscape of college basketball. So I want to include them as well. Um, coming off of the Duke game, the Kentucky Duke game, I had a podcast entirely on that. I'm going to have one exclusively for the Robert Morris game, of course, and then the other games that happened this weekend. Typically, I am going to do one podcast a week moving forward. So it'll be about two Kentucky games per podcast a week, plus maybe some other key games that happened that week or other key news that happens. Um... Unless, of course, there is a big game like Duke. Duke, it was our first game of the year. It was the Champions Classic. It's a top 10 matchup. That deserves its own episode. That's going to have enough content in itself. Or if there's any breaking news, like a huge commitment or whatever it may be, that might be its own episode. Moving forward, I'm going to try to do one a week where I'm going to cover both of Kentucky's games and other huge games and news that week as well. So this week, um, I already went over Duke, talked about... Obviously, um, we lost, but I'm not really that worried. Um, I think for as far away from our potential as we looked that we were, we really hung in with Duke. I think Duke played one of the better games they are going to play this year. Trevor Keels might have played his best game that he's going to play play all year. Um, Wendell Moore... um, he played, he played really well. Duke as just a cohesive unit, defensively and offensively, played some of their best basketball. And I don't want to say they peaked, but they definitely they definitely had their perfect game for what they're going to look like. Um, Kentucky did not. Ty Ty Washington, as we all know, struggled very poorly. Um, I don't... We, I don't really see him struggling moving forward, so I'm not really worried about that. Like, that was just a one-off game. Um... Xavier Wheeler had a great half of basketball. Uh, second half, we didn't really have a backup point guard because Ty Ty was struggling. Wheeler had to play 38 minutes. Um, the second half, his efficiency went down. He was forcing too much stuff. He looked a little tired. His turnovers and uh, his turnovers went up while his shooting percentage went down. So, um, there are, those are some of the things I wanted to see moving forward. Uh, Davion Mintz did not have a great game either. I think he shot like 2 of 7 or something like that. Um, Damian Collins, Bryce Hopkins. Obviously, we didn't expect them to play too much being such a huge game. You could just tell they weren't ready for the stage. But I wanted to see how they did against an easier opponent. So th- that's what I was kind of looking forward to uh, seeing in the Robert Morris game. And... Starting off right away, start the first name on the list, Ty Ty Washington. He came back and played. Now, he wasn't like the MVP of the game or he wasn't outstanding, but I mean, he showed what he needs to do for our team. I thought he shot the ball great. He didn't settle. 
I think he took one three all game and he missed it. And I think he was five of ten. So he nine of his ten shots came within the three-point arc, and he was constantly attacking the hoop. He was getting to his mid-range pull-up. He was getting to his floater. He was getting to the hoop. Um, I think he had three assists, three rebounds, and a steal. Might have had a couple turnovers, but he had a positive assist-to-turnover ratio. He wasn't forcing shots. He wasn't trying to take over the game. He wasn't letting a miss roll over into a bad defensive possession or a forced shot the next way. He was really playing within himself, and I was really proud to see him play that way. It was a huge jump from the first game. We're still so, so far away from seeing the best basketball Ty Ty Washington has to play. But I thought that was a great step in the right direction. I think he played off the ball well, very well, and he also played a great backup point guard. I think Wheeler played a little more than half the game, only 23 minutes. So Washington played the backup point guard for about 17 minutes. Um, I thought he did fine. He... Still made some freshman mistakes. He had a couple turnovers he probably shouldn't have. Maybe a forced shot. Maybe a, a missed read or a, a missed wide open guy that he could have done. Or something like that. A defensive breakdown. But I think all in all it was a much better improvement. And he had an all right game. And I think if Ty Ty Washington had, had an all right game versus Duke, we might beat them. But um, again, he had a very poor game. But it seemed like he was starting to gain some confidence. Shot 5 of 10 for 10 points. Um, all getting to the hoop. Like I said, he had 3 assists, 3 boards, and a steal. So he was doing a lot of different things. I thought his defense was very impressive as well. So going into uh, Savir Wheeler, um, that's the guy I said who had a really good first half against Duke and kind of fell off. Um, Savir Wheeler, I think, put up one of the most impressive stats I've ever seen in my life. Um, he had... 12 assists and zero turnovers in 23 minutes. So he was having a little more than an assist per two minutes with zero turnovers. I think he had three steals as well. So he gave up the ball zero times, got it back three times, made shots for 12 other people. I mean, that that is absurd numbers. He shot 2 of 7 from the field. He was 1 of 2 from 3. It's good to see that he's knocking down threes because that means teams are going to have to start respecting him because I think he knocked down a few against, or a couple, at least a couple against Duke as well. But um, he shot 2 of 7. I don't really worry about how Saber Wheeler shoots. He could be 2 of 7. He could be 5 of 7. That doesn't really make a difference to me. As long as he's getting the assist numbers and keeping the turnover numbers low, Anything that he scores is just bonus. So I thought he had an incredible game. We had an incredible game out of the backcourt. Moving to the front court, obviously, Oscar Shibuy stole the show again. 20 rebounds, 10 of them offensive, 10 of them defensive, uh, 14 points. Like, it, he did it, yes, against Robert Morris. He also get in, did it against Duke. He set uh, the Kentucky record for most rebounds in his first two games playing for Kentucky. He beat the legendary Dan Issel to get that record. He's at 40 through two games. Um, he was one off of the Rupp Arena record, which I believe was 21, set by Shaq in 1990, I want to say. But, I mean, you can't box him out. It's incredible. I remember the, uh, I don't remember how it ended, but the first 20 field, or no, I'm sorry, the first four missed field goals of the game for either team, whether Kentucky shot and missed or Robert Morris shot and missed, the first four field goals of the game were all rebounded by Oscar Shibway. 
And I was at the game, so I wasn't really following stats. That was just something like I noticed, I picked up. That is incredible. Like every miss, no matter who was shooting it, he was getting it. Um, he finished with 20 rebounds himself. Robert Morris finished with 24 as a team. Robert Morris as a team had seven offensive rebounds. He just had 10 himself. The dude is just a one-man wrecking machine in the paint. There were a couple times where he got the offensive rebound and he tried to put it back and he missed. Um, a couple other times he would get the offensive rebound and he tried to go up and he couldn't quite get his footing or positioning and he had to kick it out, which I think he did a really good job. He never forced it. He found open shooters a couple times. But I think the next step in his game is getting that offensive rebound and going right back with it and getting a quick two um, instead of having to kick it out and reset up a play. If you could get that offensive rebound and put it back for a dunk, we know he's tall, he's strong, he could finish in the paint. That's the next step to his game that I want to see. Um, obviously, if he keeps this production up, 20 and 20 a game or whatever, I don't know how many points, but 20 rebounds a game, double-digit points, I mean, this that's an all-American level player. I mean, he is playing like one of the best players in the country right now. Easily has been the best player on Kentucky to this point. I could not be more happy with how Oscar Sheba is playing. Moving down the list, we'll go back to our backcourt. Um, Kellen Grady played really, really well. I think he shot 3 of 7 from 3 and 3 of 8 from the field for 9 points uh, against Duke. He, um, Which, I, it's fine. It wasn't great all-around scoring, but he shot the ball well. But it was, it was a lot of catch-and-shoot 3-point looks. And I didn't really like that from him. He's such a dynamic scorer, just using him as a... Like, uh, just a catch-and-shoot three. Like, how we would use C.J. Frederick or how we would use Dante Allen. I didn't really like him in that role. I mean, he's a guy that I want to be using like we would use Ty Ty Washington. Like, where we get him the ball and have him run through a screen or take a couple dribbles and get to the hoop or pull up for, like, giving him different sets, giving him different looks other than just catch-and-shoots and staying on the perimeter because he's too good of a player to just be standing out on the perimeter. And we saw that this game, he shot 7-11 from the field. That's a 63, 64% somewhere in there for 19 points. So great efficiency, great efficiency. He was four of six behind the three point arc as well. Uh, 19 points in just 24 minutes, that's huge. Didn't turn the ball over. Um, I think he only had one assist, but he had three steals. So again, very net positive. He's stealing the ball and not turning the ball over at all. I mean, that that is huge for a team. That's extra possessions. I know it was Robert Morris, but, I mean, this, these, these are still guys. I mean, you could say, yeah, it's just Robert Morris, but we are looking better against Robert Morris than we were against Miles College or Kentucky Wesley, and those are D2 schools. So if you don't want to acknowledge the competition, that's fine. But you have to recognize that this competition, Robert Morris, is better than the D2 schools, and we are playing better against Robert Morris than we were in those exhibitions. So the amount of progress our team has made is already super, super noticeable. Um, Davion Mintz had by far his best showing of the season, if you count like the blue-white game and the exhibitions, the Duke game. Uh, really struggled to shoot the ball in the Duke game. He looked a little lost, looked like he didn't really know his role. It looked like he definitely knew his role this game. It was 20 minutes. Um, if it was a little bit closer of a game, I feel like it would have been less because I think uh, Savier only got 23 minutes. So a few more when Kellen Gray only got 24. 
So it was a closer game. I feel like Wheeler and Grady would have played a little bit more and Mintz would have been a little bit closer to 15 instead of 20. But he came off the bench, played great defense. Um, he took five shots. All five of them were three-pointers. So he's clearly out there to space the floor. Um, got a couple of rebounds, or four rebounds, plus a couple assists. Only one turnover. So obviously he's impacting the game in other ways. But out of those five threes, those five shots that he took, he knocked down four of them. And I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure the only one that he missed came off, uh, I think it was his very first shot attempt. So I'm pretty sure he made his last four in a row. Um, I could be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure that is correct. I thought it seemed like I wanted him to do it. A couple different times he came down the court with the ball and looked like he was about to pull up but didn't take it. I know last season, I think it was the South Carolina game, he made five threes in a row in the 4,000 fans that were led inside Rupp Arena at the time. Absolutely, like, we're about to tear the roof off. Like, I thought he was going to do it again, where he was going to hit his fifth three in a row. And this time, the 18,000 fans that were Rupp Arena were about to absolutely explode. But um, they did not explode because of Davion Mintz's three-pointers. When they did actually explode was by far my favorite performance of the night, which was Damian Collins. Um, obviously, we've all seen the dunk at this point. Absolutely, I jumped off from the SEC logo just inside of the free throw line and jumped out the building. It looked like one of Willie Cauley-Stein's dunks, like the one he had against Florida. Absolutely electric. Right after that dunk, the um, that was the loudest I've ever heard Rupp Arena for like a non-SEC game or a non-Louisville game. Like when we played Louisville um, in 2019 for the 2019-2020 season, Um, that was one of the loudest games I've ever heard. Obviously, all the SEC games get pretty loud. But for like an early season, mid-major, non-conference game that we were playing in, already up 30 points in, um, he absolutely made Rupp electric that night. He got everyone out of their seats. That happened with like eight-ish minutes to go in the game, I think. Everyone stood the rest of the game in the student section. Like Everyone just got up because it was such an electrifying dunk. And no one just sat down the rest of the way. And y'all know how I feel about standing in the student section. So that was super cool to see. I mean, just beyond that dunk, um, he played He played really well. He shot 7 of 8. His only missed field goal was a 3-point attempt. So he made all 7 of his shots within the 3-point range, which is mainly what he's going to stay inside of. It was a lot of dunks um, off of offensive rebounds, off of lobs, um, stuff like that. He rebounded the ball well, I thought. Um, again, still made a couple freshman plays. I think he had three turnovers, a couple defensive lapses, but he did have four blocks and a steal. Uh, six rebounds, three assists going off the stat sheet right now. So he really, really lit up the stat sheet. I mean, four blocks and a steal on defense in 21 minutes. I mean, that is a great, great defensive effort. I think uh, Keon Brooks is an elite scorer. Well, I wouldn't say elite. He's a really he's our best scorer. He's a really really good scorer from the four position. I think he's going to become an elite scorer this year. Um, I predicted that, but that's beside the point. Oscar Shibway is obviously an elite rebounder, an elite paint presence. Um, what we really don't have is a rim protector. Oscar Shibway is not a guy that's going to block a bunch of shots. Keon Brooks is not going to be a guy that's going to block a bunch of shots. Um, Bryce Hopkins, Lance Ware, both a little undersized to play in um, inside and block a lot of shots. I think they're like 6'7", 6'8", each. So they're not a 
really tall guy. Um, who else am I missing? Jacob Toppin. He's a really, really good defender. I don't think he's an interior defender. I think he plays better defense, like, on the perimeter. But, um, so that kind of leaves, like, who's our rim protector? Damian Collins, if he continues to build muscle, if he continues to work out the freshman kinks in his game and can play extended minutes for this team, I have a hard time seeing Cal ever sit him, whether he play at the four or the five, just because we know how important having a rim protector is. I mean, any part of his offense is bonus. Um, if he could just play like Isaiah Jackson did last year, I honestly think Damian Collins has more potential than Isaiah Jackson, both offensively and defensively. But if he can be in that role where he comes off, plays the four or the five, is altering shots, is blocking shots, is getting in passing lanes, and is throwing down lobs, and maybe even stretching the four a little bit, we've seen him pull out and be able to knock down a couple threes. If he can do that, he is going to be a serious key to this team. He might be one of the most impactful players. He obviously has the potential to be. If he starts really tapping into that potential, like we started to see him do against Robert Morris, he will be one of the best players on the team. Um, so that's like all the players individually statistically. One of the other things that stood out to me and has been standing out to me, these players... They are so, so, so likable. That is something that we don't always see at Kentucky. I mean, there's a lot of great talents, but a lot of things that like we struggle with. I hear a lot of guys say is like they get here and they struggle and then they tap into their potential and then they're gone after a few months and it's hard to like connect with guys. You really like the the guys that you get to see for a few years and get to fall in love with and see that progression. But again, we have a really new team. Like we have Keon coming back. Uh, we have Mintz coming back. Obviously, you just like those guys that just come back. But, I mean, some of these guys, like, through two games, like, I'm immediately falling in love with them. Like, how do you not like Oscar Shiba? How do you not like a guy that goes out there and gets 20 rebounds and 10 or more offensive rebounds in each of his first two games? And then as the amazing press conferences he does. How do you not like a guy like Xavier Wheeler, who is five foot nine and runs our point guard and is the toughest guy on the floor and is celebrating with his teammate? You need to watch Wheeler after one of his guys, one of the guys on the floor gets a dunk. He is right up in their faces. He's cheering with them. He's getting back on defense, but he's hyping his teammates up. He's like just such a contagious personality. Another guy, you just listen to his interviews. Such a knowledgeable guy. Such a great guy. Great kid. I mean, like, how do you... Kellen Grady, Ty Ty Washington. You could do it on the list. Like, Damian Collins, Bryce Hopkins. Like, all these guys, you just get a chance to talk to them. They're just such nice and great kids. Like, you're... I remember last year it was kind of hard just because we weren't winning. The year before, my first year that I went to Kentucky, I got to meet some of like the players like Quickly and Hagens and stuff like that and, and and Nick Richards. As the year went on, like you start to like really really like them and fall in love with the team and fall in love with the players and it's like that's happening game two already. Like I've seen so many different people say Oscar Shibwe like might be one of my all time favorite UK players. Like, he played two games for us. How are people, like, already saying he's one of their favorites when we've had so many? We've had, like, 30 or 40 top players just when Cal has been here. And then you go back even further and you go to, like, Rondo and 
Prince or even back further into the Rick Pitino days. But, I mean, people are already calling him like an all-time favorite. Like, that's how likable this team is. And that that's my favorite part about it. This team, like, Kentucky basketball just feels back. They have an energy about them. They have a likability about them. They have a presence. And they're obviously performing. We did lose against Duke, but, I mean... That first home game was, it was like electric. I haven't heard Rupp that loud for a non-conference game ever. Like, non-conference game that isn't Louisville. I've never heard Rupp that loud ever in my life. Like, you can tell that these guys, the the BBN, we are buying into these players. And I just think that is so, so cool. Um, Switching topics a little bit. One guy that I didn't mention is CJ Frederick. Um, if you haven't heard, he is out with the season. He initially had a leg injury, which he was recovering for. Um, I'm not sure. It looked like he was about to come back. He started practicing. It looked like he might play. Um, but I don't know if he was compensating for the initial injury. But he actually tore, or he had some injury to his hamstring, I believe. And he's going to require surgery. He's going to miss the season because of it. I think he might start playing basketball towards the end of the season, but he's not going to be ready for full contact games. So he'll he'll definitely be ready for the summer, um, barring any setbacks. He'll definitely be ready for next season. Um, it doesn't seem like he'll be ready for this season, which is really unfortunate because he seems like a great kid. Um, this is a 47% three-point shooter. Not only a great kid, like this is a guy that was like supposed to play. I mean... This is huge. He's a great defender. He started for um, Iowa last season, and they were like a two seed. And it wasn't because of him, all because of him. Obviously, they had a great player in Luca Garza. But, I mean, he is an outstanding talent that could have been started or was a sixth man, definitely in the rotation this year. Um, and I don't think a lot of people were accounting for how important C.J. Frederick was supposed to be to this year's team. Um, I know he's a three-point specialist, um, not the most athletic guy in the world, not the most talented guy in the world, you could say. Like, he's not like a, he was never like a five-star athlete, a five-star um, recruit, anything like that. But this guy, don't don't group him in with like the other non-five-stars that come here, or don't look super athletic. Like This guy was supposed to have a serious impact on this team. He is... What is going to allow um, Xavier Wheeler to be able to get to the paint? To allow Ty Ty Washington to get to the paint? Because you just can't leave a 47% three-point shooter open. So, it definitely sucks to lose him. Um, You look at Dante Allen. I thought Dante Allen played a great offensive game against Robert Morris. Um, I think he was 3 of 5 from the field. Um, knocked down a mid-ranger and then went two for four from three. So he shot the ball really well. He had eight points. Um, do not think he turned the ball over defensively. Again, he just really, really struggled. I think there half the plays he did really well and held his own. And then there was just a really big portion of plays where he just completely broke down. And obviously it's... Again, C.J. Frederick, that's a guy that was supposed to play extended minutes. When you break down that much defensively, Cal is not going to play you extended minutes. So, I love Dante. Um, I think he still has some work to do. I don't think he's going to be the one that fills that role. Um, 
Davion Mintz, I think he was supposed to play just 10 to 15 minutes that year. I, this year, I think that was the plan. That might have to double, get to 20, maybe 25 minutes he might be playing per game now, just because that spark plug off the bench to space the floor, um, instead of splitting it between Mintz and Frederick, which I believe was the original plan, I might all have to go to Mintz now. Um, Bryce Hopkins, um, he's not really a court spacer, but he can he can play the three. I think I like him a little more at the stretch four, but I saw Cal has been playing him a lot at the three spot. So I could see him taking maybe five or if he really hits stride by the end of the year, maybe five, ten, even maybe all of the minutes that were supposed to be allotted to C.J. Frederick. Um, those are the current on-roster options to help fill in that C.J. Frederick role. I think I like Mintz the best. One, because we know he can play extended minutes. Um, he played over 20 a game last year. There are games he played over 30. Um, so I know we can double his minutes if we have to. He's also, I think, our best out of those three players that I listed. And um, I think he's also our best shooter, I mean, out of those three. I think Allen's really probably at his peak our best shooter, but he is really streaky. I like a guy like Mintz, who you know what you're going to get. He's going to get the respect from defenders. I mean, last game he shot four or five. Um, he, he, he will have his hot moments, but his cold moments aren't as cold. So even if he's off, you still have to respect his three-point shot because I think he's a little more consistent. Um, so I like him at the, again, getting those minutes more than anyone. But as we are starting to find out, um, we have maybe, maybe our most talented player who is going to join this roster in initially a 2022 recruit who is going to enroll early. And obviously that is Shaden Sharp. He was the number one player in the class of 2022. I think he... I think it's official now. He is coming um, onto our roster starting second semester. He's going to roll in at Kentucky. Um, he announced that he will be still playing the 2022-23 season. So not much is changing there. The initial plan was him for, for him just to practice, um, get his semester of school in, start adapting to that life, um, build some strength, get the right nutrition, get the right um, exercise plans down, everything that he needs to do just to get accustomed to it. So the following year, which will be the 22-23 season, that's supposed to be his year. He could be a leader for the team. He could already have four or five months under Cal and understand how this program works. And then he could completely take over the following year. Um, there was a quote from one of the people in charge of his whole recruitment situation, one of his mentors, all that. They said he can play this year if he gets called on. And I don't know if I was expecting that to be the case, but I think the fact that he said that, and now C.J. Frederick's out for the season, I really would not be surprised if Shaden Sharp was playing this year. I mean, he is probably, now whether that talent is fully utilized right away, I don't know, but he is definitely the most talented guy on this roster. Now, again, you're a freshman. We see how freshmen look when they've been practicing with the team since the beginning of June. What does it look like when you already have a team and then you throw them in in January? So I don't know if I like the idea. We'll obviously have to see. Maybe the talent just overweighs everything. 
But um, I would not be surprised come end of January, mid-February, something like that, or even March. I think March might be too late to try it. So maybe mid-February, if Shaden Sharp is playing some minutes off the bench, maybe even works his way into the starting lineup. But I assume coming off the bench, some spot minutes, just to be that spark plug guy, help space the floor, help get some scoring, help get some shooting off the bench to help out our other guards like Wheeler or Washington. Um, so yeah, I mean, I feel really bad for CJ. Um, I wish him the best. I wish him a speedy recovery. And I hope we can see him on the court and back to doing his thing as soon as possible. So that is all that I have for Kentucky basketball. But like I said, this was a really, really, really big week for college basketball in general because we had our first two top five matchups of the year. The first one was UCLA, uh, number two ranked UCLA. They're number one in the SAC 25. And uh, number four, Villanova, who's also number four in the SAC 25. Um, they faced off at UCLA and it went to overtime. So I think both teams can look at this with some really big positives. Start with UCLA. One, they did not play their best game. Juzang could not hit water if he fell out of a boat in the first half. He shot horrendously. Um, he obviously picked it up second half in overtime. I think he picked it up. But the fact that he shot as inefficiently as they did and they still won, um, they're not even just Juzang. Their offense just didn't look good. Um, Chiquez Jr., um, and Juzang ran a lot of iso ball. And I did not think that that was... It, their offense didn't look very smooth. And I think that played a huge part is why Juzang had such a slow start. They weren't playing really big team ball. Way too many guys isoing, whether it be Jaquez or Juzang or Tiger Campbell or um, Bernard. I mean, way too many guys isoing. But... They still found a way to win. Even without running a very cohesive offense, they still scored um, 86 points. I mean, they did go to overtime to have to do that. But they still did win the game. I thought their defense looked really good. Juzang obviously picked it up at the end. Jacko has looked everything as advertised. Miles Johnson, the transfer from Rutgers, really looked good. I mean, he didn't score a lot. But his paint presence, rebounding, interior defense, shot blocking, I thought he played really, really well in his role. Um, Bernard, who I mentioned earlier, Jules Bernard, I thought played really, really good. Um, I expected Peyton Watson to start right away, which I think he's a very high potential guy, um, who's not tapping into the potential yet. So I think Jules Bernard being able to come in and start and allow Peyton Watson that time to develop is really huge. And I thought he played really, really well too. I think he was like their third leading scorer. He um, shot the ball really well on all levels. So I think that's a huge, um, two huge gets for UCLA. The guys that I didn't expect to perform as well as they did, who absolutely did. And like I said, Peyton Watson, he's one of my top five, six freshmen in the country. So once he hits stride, which I think he will by the end of the season, of course, UCLA, they obviously have a lot to look forward to. Um, they, they beat one of the top teams in the country in Villanova, and they did it without playing their best and without their offense looking the best and without one of their highest potential guys not um, nowhere near a stop potential yet. So 
UCLA, they're still my number one team in the country just for those reasons. They're already so good, and I think they have so many other levels that they can climb. Villanova was another team I had really high to start the season, which a lot of people weren't following with. Um, the problem was, one, you got Gillespie, who obviously is an All-American player um, before his injury, but did go through an ACL injury and had surgery this um, past. He missed the tournament. I think it was last February, or this February, and then, so we didn't know how he looked like coming back. He looked amazing. He's looked great his past two games. He's looking like the same player, if not better. Um, but the second concern with Villanova is it's Gillespie and who else? And that question has also been answered. Um, Justin Moore has really, really emerged as a star for Villanova. I mean, this is a guy that might wind up getting drafted this year. He might get all-conference. He'll, he'll definitely get all-conference honors. Um, he might even get all-American honors. He's playing great on both sides of the ball. He's spacing it. He's a physical presence. He gets to the hoop. He's been playing two through the four. He's even been a stretch four, but he's been great off of Gillespie. And the other one, of course, is uh, Jermaine Samuels, who plays the four or five position for them. He's been scoring in bunches. He's been rebounding. He's been spacing the floor. He's been defending really well, too. So Villanova is not just Connor Gillespie and who else. They are a three-headed monster now with Justin Moore, Connor Gillespie, and or Colin Gillespie. Connor Gillespie is the old third baseman for the White Sox. But uh, Colin Gillespie, um, Justin Moore, and Jermaine Samuels. Um, the other top five game that I had referenced is... Uh, number one, AP rank Gonzaga. They're number two in my rankings. Um, and number five, Texas, who was number five in my rankings. They dropped, I think, to 10 now coming into next week. But uh, Gonzaga, they looked dominant. Um, their guard play wasn't amazing, but it was enough to win. And Drew Timmy, so far, looks like the player of the year. Um, I'm, I'm not huge on Timmy. Um... I, a lot of people are higher on than me. I feel like I just hate on the guy. Like, he annoys me. I don't know if it's the mustache or what. I think it was uh, Connor on a couple podcasts ago. He just said, Drew Timmy, uh, my guest, Connor Caldwell. Connor J. Caldwell on Twitter. Um, shout out, Connor. But uh, he said, Drew Timmy just makes me, like, irrationally upset. And I, I just agree with that. But, I mean, he balled out. I mean, Villa or Gonzaga won by 12. And Chet Holmgren scored like two points. He he didn't rebound the ball exceptionally well. He he didn't like make plays. I think he only had one assist. So I mean, potentially their best player was really ineffective, and they still won by twelve against a top ten team. Um, I think guard play they might run into a little trouble with. Andrew Nampard played all forty minutes of the game. Um. That's obviously he's not gonna be able to do that all year. Um, Bolton, I think, was fine. Strother did not play well. Hunter Salas does not look that good. I thought Nolan Hickman played well, but um, I think they might be a little bit more thin on guard than we originally thought. So their front court definitely has to dominate. Timmy's holding up his end. Where I can't wait to see what Holmgren looks like when he hits potential. Like, what is that offense gonna look like with Timmy and Holmgren? Um, but Gonzaga, I think they're a top two or three team in the country right now. And I think, kind of like UCLA, 
they still have a lot of potential to tap into as soon as Holmgren starts hitting stride. Um, Texas, I was super high on them going into the season. I'm not completely giving up on them yet. Not after one loss, especially not after a road loss to maybe the best team in the country. Um, that's about as good of a loss as you can have. But they did show to me that they are not quite um, a top five team yet. I think they have a lot of work to go. Um, they might be more in like the 9 to 12 range. I think Gonzaga, UCLA, Villanova, Kansas, Illinois, those are the top teams in the country right now. Maybe Duke you can throw in there. Um, Purdue is right there. Michigan's right there. Those are the top teams in the country right now, in my opinion. So I think they're still a step behind that. Um but, I mean, they got great guard play. Marcus Carr didn't play great. I expect him to pick it up. I think he tried doing way too much, forcing way too many threes. It's not Minnesota. It's Texas. You got a lot more talent around you. Um, Courtney Ramey didn't play his best game. He's going to be one of the better players on this team. I don't expect that to happen again. Andrew Jones really did not play a great game. He will be a lot better. Devin Askew surprisingly played pretty decent. I think he was, like, the third highest scorer on the team. So, um third or fourth so shout out Devin Askew but um yeah I still think Texas is a little bit closer to the 8 to 12 range than the top five range that I originally had them in I think they have a lot to look forward to this is obviously a super tough game to start the season out with they had a little bit easier to schedule before it might pick up starting in a conference play again for them but um yeah I, I have them just I think I have them right at number 10 right now so yeah, those are the two really big games. Um, you look at the SEC, Florida had a huge win over Florida State. They should be ranked this upcoming week. Um, Tennessee held their own. Arkansas held their own. Alabama held their own. Auburn held their own. I think LSU held their own. So it was overall a really good week for the SEC. They showed how much talent they have. I expect it to be an absolutely stacked conference. And they, they've showed that that's going to be the case so far. We have no reason not to believe that. I didn't think Florida was going to be there. I thought it was going to be a five-team race with uh, Kentucky at the one, and then two through four in no particular order. It was going to be Auburn, Tennessee, Alabama, Arkansas. Florida's making it look like it might be a six-team race now. Um, I think both... I'm not huge on Mississippi State. I think a lot of the transfers they got... Um, like I'm not huge on Garrison Brooks. He didn't look great last year at North Carolina. Not huge on, uh, I forget his name. He was originally committed to Kentucky, then decommitted, went to Memphis. I'm not huge on him and I'm definitely not huge on Rocket Watts. Um, the point guard from Michigan state who transferred. So, but I think they have an over, uh, I think they have an overall pretty decent team. They're definitely going to be a hard out, especially at home. Um, Ole Miss, I think, is going to be another team that could sneak up in the top of the SEC and is going to be very sneaky and might surprise a lot of teams. I think this is the best Ole Miss team that we have seen in quite a few years. Um, I think LSU was in a really good spot, but I think losing Adam Miller really hurts them. But overall, I think SEC could have eight tournament teams, and I think so far through one week, we've we have no reason that that can't be the case. Everyone won their games, except for Kentucky, who played Duke, obviously. But other than that, everyone's winning their games. So, 
Um, that is all I have for this week. I will see, or I will talk to you all again after we take on Mount St. Mary's. And I forget who we have at the end of the week. But, um, yeah, we have another really big week for Kentucky basketball. A couple easier games against mid-majors, but obviously that's not the point. We need to see how some of these guys are progressing. Can Wheeler keep being efficient at point guard? Can Ty Ty Washington continue to make these little baby steps up to being the elite guard that we need him to be? Can Davion Mintz provide bigger minutes off the bench now? Can Bryce Hopkins and Damian Collins start being... um, more productive, consistently productive players and get rid of some of those freshman mistakes? Can we get Jacob Toppin back on the court? Can we get him back healthy? Can Dante Allen round out the defense to be a more complete player so we can use him for his court spacing? Those are some of the things that uh, I'm looking forward to for this upcoming week and things that I will highlight whether we do them or fail to do them this upcoming week on the next episode. So I will talk to you all then. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, go Cats. Just need to clear my mind.